As we continue to unpack the man above the waters, I want to go in a, in a direction that will provide us with context in which we may more fully understand the, the, this prophetic vision of the man above the waters. The importance of this is altogether apparent because in prophetic scripture we are told that the time of the revelation of such a man is at a time of great distress in the earth because this man, you see, is the picture of the original intent of God which was to create a man in his image and likeness. And as I've said before, you may properly assume that everything in creation was designed to not only enable the coming forth of this man, because that's the purpose of creation, but to sustain his coming forth. So I keep insisting on this revelation being understood precisely because it's the knowledge of who this man is put within the context of what God intended uh, to make as as the focal point of creation. All creation exists to support the coming forth of this man and once he comes forth to enable him to be the image and likeness of God, the exact representation of the Father. There is no chance that such a man will suffer from, from the lack of anything necessary for his life and for the portrayal of righteousness in the earth. That's why we cannot be afraid, that is why it, it is erratic, it is, um, it, is, it is out of the question that we who are part of this assembled propitiated entity, uh, the, the composition of the divine uh, and, and the human, that is the divine incarnated in the human, the head of which is Christ, the body of which is comprised of our spirits, it is inconceivable that such a man will fail to come forth. All creation was established to bring him forth and when he does, he's meant to, to be displayed like the brightness of the sun in the earth. Uh, There are various references to this man um, in allegorical references, but the man himself is not an allegorical reference. The man is the offspring of God. The man is the intention of God fully realized. So a city on a hill is a type and shadow of this man who draws all men to it because the intent of God is in disclosing Himself in and through this man is to offer the the living hope of mankind to mankind to invite them to participate in the very reason for their existence, to put, to be brought into the Corpus Christi, the body of Christ and to be conformed to the standard of the head who is the Lord Jesus Christ so that, so that the glory of the Father may be put on display in this glorious man. Now, so I want to back up 
and frame this man within the context of God's original intent. And as we get ready to do that, let me point out some obvious things. We'll run into words, we'll encounter words um, that require us to look at the original meanings of words. You know, the scriptures were not originally written in English. Translators do a thing that translators always do, and that is they take the original words that are used and they find the word in the language that they believe best reflect uh, the word they've heard. In the case of Bible translators, the existing history of the church um, and the entire mindset that goes with that forms the basis of the choice of words that they use. I'll show you that later on uh, using the word with, where Jesus said, I will sit with my Father on His throne. That word with, it's an ordinary English word and allows us to think of one person sitting here, another person sitting next to them is sitting with them. Hmm? What if I tell you that the word for with is the word meta, M-E-T-A, and it means, uh, it's co-equivalent in Latin, the Greek word meta as a co-equivalent in Latin, the foundations of English, Greek and Latin, are the foundations of the English language. Uh, the, the word for meta in Latin is, is the term media uh, or medium or uh, the, 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 the point at which something is transferred, a medium for transference, to another, uh, another place, another location. So when Jesus is sitting with His Father, it's the word meta. Uh, we, we, we have meta as a prefix in such things as metamorphosis, which is um, to morphose, to, to assume a form, and a metamorphosis is the point of transfer from one form to another. Uh, So the adverb with goes with something else. Um, Now that's just an example that I intend to come back and explore, but I'm, I'm making the point that when we read ordinary English words, we tend to associate a domestically familiar meaning to that word. And it presents us with conundrums um, that are not easily understandable unless and until we go back and actually take a look at the word that was used and decode it within the context 
of what the scriptures are actually telling us. So we have a dual problem typically with translations. Now, uh, translations are good, please don't misunderstand me. And I'm not suggesting that everybody needs to research every word. What I am suggesting, however, is that the pre-existing doctrinal mindsets of translators thoroughly influence the words that they select, you see? And when that happens, we don't often get critically important pictures. So we live in a time, we live in a time when manna is coming forth as never before, hidden things, and they were hidden in part not because the scriptures were inaccurately uh, translated, but because our knowledge of what God was saying was not complete, because much of the scriptures, all of the scriptures have been written and as far as we're concerned have been translated. But the revelation of what has been written continues to be unpacked. That's the hidden manna. It's hidden in plain sight. And so faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of God and the Word of God comes by one who has been sent. And that's essentially what I'm doing. I'm bringing as one sent understandings that were not hitherto clearly revealed. Now why would that be so? Because of the times of course. I don't claim to be smarter than anybody else. I don't even claim to be as smart as some. But this doesn't have to do with human intelligence. This has to do with times and seasons that the Father has kept by His own authority. And when the times and seasons have reached their fullness, God begins to to bring into creation, bring into the world, into the realm of humankind, that which He reserved for those times. Do you know that there are things that are in God that have been hidden for a long time? You know what hidden means? It means you can't see it until God reveals it. Now listen, listen, listen. No man can have anything unless God gives it to him. And the things of God are not discerned by reason. The carnal mind has no way of wrapping itself around eternal principles because the carnal mind is entirely shaped by the visible world. And so analogies, understandings, the choice of words, the use of words, all reflect an understanding that is um, domestic. But when God means to bring something out of the storehouse of His treasures, He then 
unveils the word that is the key to unlocking that mystery. Now, how do we get to know these things? God shows us them. Uh, We are the Son and the Father loves the Son and shows the Son what the Father is doing. So, again, to reiterate the point, the Scriptures were not written in English. The New Testament was written in Greek, the Old Testament in Aramaic. And the choice of words and the understandings of words as spoken from the viewpoint of God often are lost in translation and held up and God is not worried about any of that because when He sent the Holy Spirit, He sent the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. And that Spirit illuminates the understanding of His people. The understanding of His people is informed by words that God sends, that produces faith. These words that are sent are sent by, are brought by reliable messengers, sent ones, whose whose, um, motives have been purified by the fires of suffering. So they are addicted to the accuracy of representing the Father. Everybody's not like that, but everybody can be brought to that place by the work and message of those sent ones. Now, so the man above the water. I want to uh, I want to start uh, in in the further unpacking that contextually by speaking about, uh, well, let's first, let's first introduce and, and resolve a mystery. I want to read to you from the book of Revelation chapter 4. Now the scene of Revelation 4 is in heaven. John has been taken up. Uh, He had been on the island, he was on the island of Patmos. Uh, The Lord Jesus appeared to him on the island of Patmos and spoke to him. After the speakings of God, suddenly a door was opened to him into heaven. And he heard a voice saying, Come up here and sit with me, and I will show you what is to come. And he said, At once he was in the Spirit. Now, when he was in the Spirit, he was immediately brought before the throne of glass, or before the throne of God in heaven. Um, I've quoted in, in practical fact, uh, Revelation chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. Let me just go ahead and read it. After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven, and the the first voice which which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. 
So the first sequence of things in the book of Revelation were things that were to happen immediately, things that would, quote, shortly come to pass. For the first three chapters, he's speaking directly to the seven churches of Asia. But then after he's taken up into heaven, the scene switches and he's, he's ex- it is explained to him that the reason he's brought up there was to see things that must take place after this. So these are not the things to shortly come to pass. Things to shortly come to pass relate directly to the seven churches of Asia at the time when they existed. But but after this is a different position, it's a different dimension and it's a different revelation. So he said, immediately I was in the Spirit. It's a key designation. You know, when you're in the Spirit, you're not in the realm of mankind. You're not on the earth. You're in the presence of God. And the presence of God may take multiple forms. You may be out of time and space. You may be out of creation, fellowshipping with the mind of God. Or you may be in heaven. Or you may be in a different time period. It depends on what God wants to show you, such is the nature of visions. But it's important that you understand, when you are in the Spirit, things are not linear. They're not bound by time and space. They're not to be understood by the reason and logic of time and space. They are meant to be, this is a time When you're in the Spirit, God means to speak to you spirit to spirit, not spirit to the mind of man. So at once I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And then it goes on to describe 24 elders around the throne and how they were clothed and so on. And then back to verse 6, before the throne was a sea of glass, clear as crystal, and then four living creatures and the first living creature he describes, and so on. Now, and the elders, the four living creatures, let's start at verse 8 now. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. All right, now pause there for a moment. So you're in the Spirit, you're looking on one who sits on the throne. To whom 
are the four living creatures singing day and night the words, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. To whom? Who is sitting on the throne? Who is sitting on the throne? The normal answer is the Father, the Lord God Almighty, the Father. Because Jesus said that He was going to sit with the Father on His throne. So our our presupposition, and especially if you know that in short order, the Lamb is going to be revealed. In chapter 5, the Lamb is going to be revealed and we'll come to that in a moment. But I ask you the question, who is sitting on the throne? And later He'll be revealed as holding a scroll in His hand written on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Who is sitting on the throne? Because what is normal in our view of God is the Father is sitting on the throne while the Son is in the earth. The song is directed to the one who is sitting on the throne and the song is, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And we are fully convinced that that is the, that is the Father. Let me invite you back to chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. This is where John is speaking, this is before he's taken into heaven, and when he's being visited by the Lord Jesus Christ in his form other than that of a man. He's the, this is the one with the golden sash about, about him, uh, who has eyes that are as flames of fire, whose feet are like refined bronze, refined in the furnace, all right? He's speaking to him. And this is who that figure, who is the Lord Jesus Christ in His glorified form, this is how that figure defines Himself. That's how he, this is what I'm about to read to you from Revelation 1.8. This is how that figure defines himself. It's written in red if you have a red letter version. Here's what it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. Listen to this who is and who was and is to come, one more, the Almighty. Go back now to chapter 4 where we just read and what is the greeting of those who, the the four living creatures? 
What is the greeting? To the one who sits on the throne. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. What does he say? I am he who was and is and is to come, the Almighty, the exact expression. Word for word, the same description. Who is sitting on the throne? The same person who visits John on the island of Patmos. Why? Because it's the exact same salutation that he spoke of himself, the four living creatures are speaking to him. Unless I'm missing something, unless I'm missing something, word for word, what he describes himself as being, he's being glorified and spoken to in the praise of the four living creatures who was and is and is to come the Lord Almighty. Now, here's what they continue to say about the one who is upon the throne. And we'd have a difficult time making this fit with God the Father sitting on the throne. It says, and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Who of the Godhead created all things and by whose will were they created? Here's what John says, the same John by the way, writing the book of Revelation, had already written, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. He created all things and without Him was not anything that was made that was made. The evidence uncontrovertibly points to the one who is sitting on the throne as being the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorified one. But then we go over to chapter uh, 4, or chapter 5, and it says, And I saw in his right hand, in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, this scroll that was written. So, so the one on the throne who is the Lord Jesus Christ in his glorified form holds a scroll in his hand. And we know, and we'll pick up at this point in just a moment, we know that the question was who was worthy to open the scrolls and the Lamb came forth. This is a significant dilemma if we attribute the designation of the Father to the one who is sitting on the throne. 